Kenny Brown, thank you very much for joining me on Between the Levees for episode 11. Tell me what you got going on in your life these days. Oh, man, just living life. They just yeah. had Christmas today. So, uh, tow boater, Christmas, well, actually last night. So, uh, when you're home for Christmas like that, we just got that knocked out and be headed back to the boat right before Christmas. I got you. How many kids you have? Well, we have four kids together. I have two. My wife has two. We have two grandbabies and son-in-laws and daughter-in-laws. So, uh, house full. Well, luckily it's not a house full, but uh, we have a big family. Sure, sure. How uh, how Christmas go? I mean, it's a lot of people. Oh, yeah. It went really well. Um, we have adopted since the kids got older. We do gift cards. We fill the tree up with gift cards, and they get to take rounds picking them. Makes life easy and sure. gives them something they can use. So we enjoy it. Yeah, that's a cool idea. Um, what do you do for a living? Well, I'm a uh, towboat captain, inland towboat captain uh, for Ingram uh, now. And uh, I'm the founder and uh, of Maritime Throwdown, industrial competition for the industry. And is that once a year or how do you, what's that process? Well, that process is, it's kind of growing of whatever it needs to be for the industry. Um, right now it's one big finals and then whatever we can do throughout the year to uh, kind of grow it, we do. And we just kind of morph what the industry sees value in or what they need. And uh, it will grow into multiple competitions, regionals throughout the year. And then coming into our finals, which is always held at the Inland Marine Expo. Um, so that's, uh, but as of right now, there's one big finals and then the people that want to be there show up and the companies want to get behind to get behind it. And then now we're building a, a structure that makes it easier for companies to get behind it, uh, they, they get some value out of it for their crews, existing yeah. crews help recruit and then go into, uh, lead into the finals. But our finals coming up for uh, 2023 are, will be held at Nashville at Music City Hall at the Inland Marine Expo in May. So May the 31st will be the the actual finals for 2022-2023 season. And um, we've got plans for the beginning of 2023 to have a bunch of pop-up competitions in, in port towns um, between now late leading up. So uh, it's going to be very busy February and April okay. and March. is going to be very busy. All right. Well, tell me, uh, where were you born? I was born uh, September 2nd, 1981 in Jackson, Mississippi. Okay. And uh, – I was uh, raised uh, here in Summit, Mississippi, um, pretty much my whole life, raised right here, went to school where my kids go to school and have graduated, and um, so we all stay right here in a small town in Mississippi. Yeah. You've been there your whole life? Oh, yeah. I moved off one time to Pensacola, and uh, since the first time I moved out of my mom's house, I moved four and a half hours away. I wanted to live in Florida and uh, moved, and then... Uh, Life brought us back, and then uh, been here ever since. I got you. What did your uh, What did your parents do for a living? Well, so um, I didn't meet my real dad till I was uh, around ten years old, but he was in the audio visual industry. Uh, he headed up a company out in, in Jackson, uh, doing that, building big, you know, the uh, custom audio boats and cars and big crank it up contests and stuff. He did all of that. My mom was an auctioneer. She was a a, a big equipment. She was, I think she was one of the first ladies in Mississippi. Um, she was a equipment and car auctioneer. And then she got into, which was fun, was the junk auctions, but uh, that's where she made her money that was doing the auctioneer stuff. And then my stepdad, um, he's pretty much all I knew as uh, they owned a, him and my papa owned a, a body shop. So body and paint. What led you into the barging industry? Well, I started off, uh, ended up, let's see, I got out of high school. I was just, I worked at a tire shop my whole high school, middle school, high school area there after school. And then I landed a job doing horizontal directional drilling right out of high school, which I was making crazy money and didn't really know it. Uh, but a guy had a big backhoe and needed his tire changed out. It was on a Friday evening and he was basically going to be in a bind and me and my cousin was like, Hey man, we'll, we'll fix your tire. The owner was like, Hey man, you know, we're about to close. Like I said, man, what are we going to do? So we changed his tire real quick on this big backhoe, knocked it out. And the guy was like, you guys looking for jobs? He was like, I mean, our boss is standing here. We're like, ah, you know? Yeah. And uh, so we ended up going and doing that. We had just turned um, 18. Matter of fact, it was waiting on birthdays, uh, turned 18, did that job, got paid really good money. Didn't even know. I mean, we're 18 years old, um, which led me to, 
being able to move to Florida. I went over there, got a driller job. Um, I got married to my first wife, which we call it my trial marriage. Mm. And um, so we moved over there and um, I was doing drilling over there. And then um, we got pregnant with uh, my little girl. And then she didn't, we didn't have family and friends there. One of the boot Mac moved back home. So we did. And that's what brought us back in, back to town. And then, man, it was hard. I was working any kind of jobs I can get. I went from Walmart distribution to build like all kinds of stuff, just anything to make ends meet ended up in retail. Well, let me take it. Let me back that up. Um, I wanted to go to the military. I had dropped out of high school in 11th grade, like a dummy, got my GED and wanted to go to the military right out of high school. That's what I was wanting to do. And um, when I did that, get up there to the MEP stations, it was February 14th. My wife was pregnant. It was, it was Valentine's day. Said the goodbyes, you know, going to boot camp, and I was 0.5 body percent off. Uh, on the, on, the, on the, and the doctor was standing there, blew everybody's mind. I was really mad that they said it was gonna take like two weeks. I had to come back and re reweigh, and I was like, you gotta be kidding me, man! I was just seeing these people like walking through, getting on the bus, and I'm sitting here like, are you kidding me? Like, I mean, I was in shape, and I was really angry. And uh, so what, I was bra- like, man, what branch was this? Uh, it was the Navy. Okay. Yeah. And so I went, I went to go talk to the air force recruiter and uh, he was out for lunch and the Navy guy was a really good salesman. He was like, what are you going to the air force for, man? We have, we have more airplanes than the air force and we have boats too. And like, yep. what do you want to do? I'm like, I yep. want to fly, you know? And uh, in hindsight, I wish I went to the coast guard knowing what I know and doing what I do now. I, yep. I would way rather that, but uh, nonetheless, the Navy. And so um, did everything, man. Like I said, was, was going to be flying out to uh, Chicago Went back home. Nobody was expecting me to come back home. And my grandmother-in-law, she was like, I didn't know you want to work on boats. Why are you going to the Navy? I said, well, I really didn't. But she's like, well, my uh, my nephew is the hiring recruiter for uh, Tidewater. And I was like, you know, I was angry about the whole thing going to the Navy because it was a career decision for me. Like, I, I knew when my first check was going to come in, you know, we were going to be going to Pensacola to A school and all this kind of stuff and uh, had it all planned out. And then it, it just felt like it dropped out from under me. Well, I ended up going to Tidewater. I was on a boat within a week. And this my first was, sub- you said your wife's or your first wife's grandmother's nephew. Yes. Okay. Yes. And so I get on with Tidewater, get on my very first supply boat at uh, 18, get on there in Venice, Louisiana. Didn't have a clue what I was doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, obviously, I don't think anybody does at 18. And, that, and this goes back to me remembering exactly how I felt, the, the, the situations that I was in. So I can be the best manager of, of crew that I, I can because I can remember back how I felt and then how I could kill out those anxieties and stresses. So when I retell these stories, it brings me back to how I felt those days. Right. You know, 18 years old, getting on a boat with all these grown men. And then we take off, go offshore in December. Uh, it was, uh, I'm sorry, it wasn't December. It was, um, that was February 14th. Okay, so it had to been in February. It was still wintertime because um, it was rough. I just know that. We went yeah. offshore, it was real rough. You know, went through all of that. Uh, I was on supply boats for about a year and a half, two years. What's a deckhand's mm-hmm. life on a supply boat? Um, well, it's a lot easier um, compared to a towboat deckhand because you have one vessel that's 220 foot long. You just do your chipping and painting and um, maintain the vessel. Right. Um, you know, you have engineers and oilers. You have the wheelhouse crew, and then you basically do upkeep. And you can get involved on either side of those things if you want to. And I was always involved in especially the wheelhouse side I was always curious and wanting to know you know what was going on and how to do the next thing and mm-hmm. um easing down the engine room as much as I could but my I had a passion for the wheelhouse even then I was on uh and I, I like that was a core memory for me because I remember the crew the smells of everything and, and everything man it was just it was just a tough time but fun time in hindsight tell me about yeah, a just trip maintain, just maintain tell me about story. a trip on deck so I uh, got on the boat, man, pack your bags up, leave your family, which is always the hard part. Um, you know, say your goodbyes, get uh, get to the boat. Well, you go to the office there in Amelia, Louisiana, then they load you in a crew van at, you know, three or four o'clock in the morning. You have your supplies and your groceries and everything. And then you drive down to where the boat's at, Venice, Fouchon, or, or, or wherever. And you get on your vessel, load all the groceries, load all your stores on, and then uh, find your bunk, make your bed. Depends on what watch you're on. Maybe you just go ahead and hit your rack. What kind of hitch um, was that? Uh, 2814. Okay. Yeah. 2814. And then we didn't have cell phones. I mean, uh, so it, it, they wouldn't work even if you did. 
but you had calling cards that you would have to get on dock and, and uh, get to a pay phone whenever you came in. And sometimes we'd go out for two, two weeks, sometimes three weeks long at the longest usually go out there. And then when we come back in, everybody sitting in the dock to try to call home, right. no connection whatsoever. So how that was, that was pretty rough. That was a pretty bad part, but yeah, you just do your watches, you know, you work 12 hour watches, you come up on watch and offshore, you know, you, you go to the wheelhouse and uh, be on watch when you're underway. And so that's different from the inland towing industry. Um, I'll tell you a story about that. But um, so you yeah, come up on watch, do that, go do your cleanup. It's pretty just a, I mean, really, in hindsight, you look back, the hardest thing about either on boats, period, is being away from your family. Right. Um, when you when you have a good crew, everybody talks about that. It makes life easy. And uh, if you have a really good working environment, it's really easy. But uh, as in the work, man, you're really just taking care of the vessel. Now, when you get in the tow building, okay, so that, let me just say that, yeah, so that's how that's how I got into the maritime industry was on supply boats. And then September 11th happened. It got real slow, got laid off. And then when that happened, I, you know, I live in a small town, and I was just beating down doors trying to get hired uh, anywhere. Um, I, I, I worked for Discount Auto Parts. They were hiring, and I finally got into the door with them. Didn't, I've never been in retail. And so I got into Discount Auto Parts, and then within a few months, I was an assistant manager in training. Then after that, they, um, they advanced auto parts, bought them out. And so through the process, they went from old MS-DOS computer system to a Windows-based system, which was really easy for everybody else. I didn't understand the MS-DOS stuff. So I kind of excelled on that a little bit, so much so that they ended up putting me on a corporate policy procedure training group that trained core Florida stores, which put me traveling doing um, – uh, I was 20 I was twenty years old, and I was a corporate policy procedure trainer for Advanced Auto Parts. I had a lot of good mentors in that, and I ended up being getting that done and then coming back to uh, my hometown as the assistant manager in my store. Um, and then by the time I was 21, 22, I was 21, 22 years old, I was a store manager. I think I was the youngest store manager for Advance at the time. Like I said, had really good mentors. And then so went through all that. Then I went, got recruited to Lowe's, the, 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 the division manager that was at advanced auto parts went to Lowe's he recruits me to Lowe's he said man there's more opportunities under one roof and you're in a small town I, you know you, you, this is better for you so right. I get recruited to Lowe's which I enjoyed so again retail I was a retail manager and then I got into sales did that and uh I was about 25 24 25 years old and I'm just like you know what am I going to do like I, I mean because I could have been a store manager for Lowe's if I jumped through the ranks and did the things I needed but I was going to have to travel around the United States um, and jump through these different positions uh, to progress right. at the level I wanted to progress at. Well, yeah. I got a divorce in the meantime, and my kids were in my hometown, and I wasn't leaving my hometown because I got my kids every other week, and uh, we had a good arrangement, and uh, so that wasn't an option for me anymore. Like I said, I'm not leaving my town. So nobody in our small town is going to move. No, no position is open unless somebody dies, retires, or gets fired. Right, You know, and everybody's holding tight. So I'm like sitting here thinking about all this. I'm like, so I'm not moving around and I'm going to have to wait forever for these opportunities to open up the level I want to open up to. I was like, okay, economy started tanking at that time. Um, I forget what year it was, but the economy was tanking hard. And I was like, you know what, what do I want to do? I was like, I really, really enjoyed being on the boats. Uh, let me see about going back offshore. Well, I had my ABOSV license and I didn't know what I had at the time. They were just sending me, they, the Houston was built into Tidewater. And they were just sending you to class and just pumping out people coming out of class. What is that? And um, what's that? ABOSB. Yeah. Able body seaman slash offshore supply vessel. And what does that get? Is that just like a regular credential for inland mariners? Yeah. So you start out as an OS, an ordinary seaman. Your next level up is AB. And then specifically to supply vessels, which I kind of think a pigeonhole you to supply vessels is the AB slash OSV. And then your next step is a mate, which gets you short into the uh, wheelhouse. So and I wasn't that how, far. How quickly, how quickly had you advanced from the beginning to then? Um, as fast as I could. So whatever the seat time requirements was, I was meeting them. I was actually had my classes done before my seat time. I was waiting on seat time letters. And as soon as they came in, they would send my application out. And it wasn't, it was me wanting it, but, it was the company. It was just, if they knew that you could pass the test, they had you in those classes. Yeah. And I, I got kind of aggravated because I was like, what are y'all doing? I was like, oh, well, these, these older captains, you know, they can't read, they can't write, you know, we got to get these out of here. I said, are y'all crazy? 
Like, just because we could pass the test, these dudes can run, but we can't do this mess. Like, what are y'all doing? And I seen that as a red flag when I was 18, 19 years old. You know, I was like, man, y'all are crazy to think just because we can pass the test that we can do what these guys are doing. Right. And maybe they didn't mean it like that, but that's how I took it. And so I was like, huh. But anyways, I didn't know what what when I left and got, you know, laid off and I got into retail, I didn't realize that I had you know, a, a job in my hand that was worth, you know, like that license was around five grand to get it back. So whenever I decided to come back to the water, I was like, you know what, let me see. My license was expired by six months and it was gonna cost me five grand to get them back. And so I was like, holy cow, like I don't have five grand. Am I going to get a loan? Like, what am I going to do? I really want to do it. You know, what do I do? And, um, you know, I've got a family at this time. I've got a family of four. Me, me, my, my girlfriend at the time, we wasn't married yet. And, um, her two kids, my two kids, and like, you know, what do you do? So I was talking to somebody. I went bowling make for a little bit. Uh, I had friends that did that, so that was easy to go do. But the lifestyle wasn't really what I wanted. And uh, so it was good money if I needed it. And then um, they were like, man, you don't have to go offshore to blue water. You can go get on brown water, get on towboats. I'm like, what is that? They're, I mean, we worked on, we worked at the bottom of the Mississippi River leaving and going outbound. I did not know what towboats were. That's just how blind this industry is to a lot of people. Yeah, right. And so I'm like, what do you mean, brown water? And so they were like, dude, all you have to have is your Twit card. Well, I had my Twit card from bowler making. Mm-hmm. And uh, I showed up. What's funny is I applied to Carline, which is my first towboat company. And so I was 26. I got a, a job in November, whatever year it was, 2006 maybe, something like that. I got a, I did a job in, at the Rubicon plant in Geisner, Louisiana for Turner. Had my Twit card. They just came out with Twit cards. We're just enforcing the Twit cards and uh, got it hot off the press. And I was like, you know what? I'm not leaving Baton Rouge till I have a job. And my friend's like, bro, you can't just do that. You're not going to be able to go knock on these doors and say, watch and see. Well, I drove, just started driving, and I ended up at a levee. And I looked, and there was a Carline's car logo there, a sign on the, on the levee. And I was like, man, I've applied to these people, and they gave me the cold shoulder. So let me pull over. And so I pulled over. And because what I did is I applied, and, and I seen the ad in the newspaper because you know, they advertise out in these rural areas, which is a good thing, and out where I live at, and I applied. But they called me the first time. Then they realized I had all that retail experience, and they kind of wrote me off. They were like, oh, you know, this guy's a manager in retail. Like, uh, he's not going to be able to handle it. And I get that. But I was like, bro, I've got to feed my family. I'm, I want to be on boats. Like, I pulled over to the side of the road, called my papa. I said, hey, I've been – I know these – I have been in the body shop since I was a kid, sanding 18 wheelers, whatever. I've, I've done it, you know. So I said, hey, I've been at the body shop. Write these dates down from this time to this time. It was like four and a half, five-year span. Right. Called my friend up. I was like, you're my foreman, bowler making. These are my dates. Write them down. And so I made another application that was blue collar, so they would accept and talk to me. And I filled it out online, and then I, I, I walked in there, and they were like, uh, well, you know, it's real slow right now, but, you know, you have to have your Twit card. And I'm like, well, I have my Twit card. They said, yeah, well. They kept everybody was just. I got my application. They were like, "No, you have to physically have your Twitter." I said, "I do." Like, own you. I pulled it out of my pocket. They were like, "Oh, oh God!" Like, really? You you have it? I said, "Yes, sir." He said, "Well, look, a lot of people are leaving." It was like two days later, two days coming up, or just had passed that they were taking people off the boats because they didn't have the trick cards. The date that they mm-hmm. put it and forced it. Mm-hmm. And so I just happened to walk in at the right time. They said, "Look, we normally pay." And I was like, "I don't care. Uh, just put me on a boat." And so they did. I got on my first towboat. At 26 at, on the CSS Virginia and McKinney Fleet, you know, I got on there and I was just like, the first few weeks, I hated it. I said, this is the dumbest stuff. This is these little box things floating in the water. This is brown water. It's disgusting. Pushing around these box things. It's, I mean, I, I just hate it because I wanted blue water, a big bow, you know, busting waves. And I wanted to cross over to, you know, Africa and South America. And that's what I wanted to do. And then here I am on this muddy water and pushing these barges you know i'm like this is just dumb (laughs) and 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 i was out of shape i was like 230 pounds five foot six like out of shape i couldn't throw three wires so that was aching on me too you know waking up hurting and having to be weak you know so um was really a crew that was real chill and had been together for a long time and old captain tyler um man he sit on the edge of his chair and never got up smoking cigarettes had an oxygen tube in his nose just just could run that boat like nobody's business. And, I mean, I was just in awe when I came up there and watched him start headlining barges, mm-hmm. just sitting on the side of his chair, you know, just relaxed. And then what got me, when I was hooked, you know, there's other – right before I didn't say I was got hooked is we'd be in the canal running, you know, six-pack, 1,000-foot toes, and these captains would wake up at watch change, 
and we'd be like, oh, yeah, we're at the so-and-so. And I'm like, it is 530 in the morning, dark. How does he wake up knowing where he's at? There ain't nothing but trees around. And, like, that always just blew my mind. Right. I was like, holy cow, how am I going to have this much knowledge to be able to do this? Like, this is going to take forever. Like, what? I was just in awe. So when I got hooked, though, Baton Rouge, McKinney Fleet, we had, we had around 800, 900, 900 foot of tow. He came out of the lower end, and he started topping out. And um, there was a ship that was about 700 foot long, had two assist tugs on the side of him. I think he was going on to the buoys there right below the bridge. And then we're sitting here topping out, and I looked at that ship in the, in the tugs. They were like five, 7,000 horsepower apiece. The ship was like however many thousands of horsepower. Here we are, 2,000 horsepower, topping out with all this tonnage. And he's just as relaxed can be by himself. And then he tops out and goes down. And when he makes, you know, the first one or two bands, I'm just like, Cap, let me ask you something. I said, what I just saw and witnessed, I said, this guy had thousands of horsepower, you know. And like, and here we are with 2,000 horsepower doing this. I was like, if you can do this and run these boats, I've seen you headline and do all these things. If you can do this, or who's the best boat handlers? He said, son, he said, we're near collision at all times by Coast Guard standard. He says, and he said, we're the best boat handlers in the damn world. I was like, I feel that way. He said, now, if you've got to cross the waters, that's something totally different. He said, but as in navigating and handling boats, we're the best, tow boaters are the best boat handlers there is. And uh, I'm sitting here watching it. Do you remember uh, what the tow was y'all were shoving on that trip? Uh, I just know that it was a downbound tow. I know it was long and wide. I mean, it's probably like 10 to 12 barges um, mixed between loads and empties. Yeah. We we tramped barges from Baton Rouge to New Orleans. And, I mean, it, it, so many tows, I couldn't tell you. But I know it was it was long and wide on this one because of the, the string that we had. And it was just a mean-looking tow. Um, so 12 or so? Like four long, three wide? Yeah. Yeah, okay. something like that. Well, there never were there never were perfectly four long three yeah. wide. They were like we had a string, we would be dropping right. first drops would be placking the point and what have you. So I, I couldn't tell you, but I just know I remember it was around eight, nine hundred foot long and it was mm-hmm. just ugly. So yeah, man, we when I when I when I felt that I felt a knot in my stomach and I was just like crap. And and I knew then I was I just I was I was nervous and scared, like, okay, I, I just committed. I remember my body just telling me I, I committed to doing this. I was like, Okay, it's done. And so at that point I started asking questions. Like, how do you get to your level? What do you do? What do you do? Like, you know, I, I know I'm a deckhand, but what's the next level? You know, and I remember the first steersman, I pissed off. I asked him, I was like, you know, I get on the boat the first day. I was like, well, I'm back up just a few weeks. But the first day I get on the boat, I said, man, what do you do? He said, I'm a steersman. I said, okay, are you, you're, I'm going to watch with you, right? He says, yeah. And he told me all kinds of stuff. Like, you mind your effing business and don't you worry about what I'm doing. You need to worry about yourself. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I didn't mean to upset you, but I'm just curious. I mean, like, this is my second day on the boat. Like, I mean, if you're a steersman, what, what what does a steersman do? You know, I didn't understand, and I, I do now in my right. career. That, right. that I said, okay, I just want to know what the levels are. How do you get there? What do you do? And I started asking questions. So when I figured out the timeline of everything, and I was like, okay, by the time I'm 30, I'll be cut loose. They said, ain't no way. And I, and I was gung-ho as then as I am now. And, and this uh, was 26, I, 27 years old? Oh, uh, yeah, I was 26, 26. And you said – you said 30 years old, cut loose? Yeah. I okay. was like, I had a goal as a 30 to be cut loose. Now, I had a little bit of sea time that they were used, they were able to use like a quarter of it to kind of boost me a little bit, but it wasn't enough to really to matter. But I just knew that when you got your mate license, you could be cut loose. You could run backwatch as long as you had a master on board. And when I understood that, everybody's like, oh, no, they're not going to do that. You have to have your masters to get cut loose. I was like, no. Nah. Coast Guard says this. They're like, it doesn't matter. People aren't going to hire you. I'm like, it is what it is. I'll deal with that then. So I started putting the work in, you know, as a deckhand. Um, I worked with a bunch of crews. Uh, I worked with a lot of good ones. I worked with some bad ones. I worked with, you know, just all the way in between. Uh, I wasn't the best deckhand uh, at first. I wasn't because I, I fell into the, the groove of everybody else, whoever I was around, because I didn't know any better. And then once I realized what was going on around me, and I realized that within about eight months, I knew about three or four different other people at other companies. I was like, wait a minute, I thought this industry was big, but how do I know now four different people at four different companies? Like this industry is actually small. And so if you make a, if you got a bad work ethic, it's going to reflect that on the people that you know in the industry and you're going to get a name for yourself really quick. And so when I started realizing that is when I started changing my mentality and and my attitude and, and kind of um, figuring those things out. And I was like, okay, and, I mean, I had my butt handed to me, man. I had some captains that made me who I am today. 
Captain Gary Gillette and Mikey Billiot, them two right there, I'll call them out because they they straightened me up, man. Uh, yeah. Uh, I'm not gonna say I was terrible, but they he just nitpicked so hard, and I, in hindsight, I was aggravated at days and time, but I was so appreciative now because he knew what he was doing, and um, you know he seen potential and he ran the dog crap out of me. But they also gave me the opportunity to get behind the sticks anytime I wanted. That afforded that is because I was, you know, working as hard as I was. But, I mean, I had that crew that when I get on the boat, they were like, oh, man, please just slow down, man. Just chill because, man, you're making us look bad. I'm like, no, sir, I'm not making you look bad. You do you. I'm going to do me. But yeah. um, if I'm the last, I will be the last person standing. I've got to make sure I'm an asset and not a liability. And I have a family to feed and nobody on here is going to take care of my family but me. And it says not personal at all. And, and I mean, I meant that, but I was like, I will be the last one standing if there's a layoff. And see, I got hired in when it's slow as I'll get out. And they were talking about layoffs. I've never known Carlin to lay off. They didn't, they didn't end, but I was, it was always a fear. And so um, I was a force to be reckoned with at a certain point. And then, you know, I, I was always competitive. The crew that I worked with, but I finally ended up on the boat with was the one that a lot of people talked about. They said, oh, that's the click boat. I was kind of nervous to get on there, man, and uh, but I get over there and I actually fit right in. All it was is they were driven and passionate and had some really good wheelmen that drove them to build pride and ownership in their vessel. And so you, and how, when you look back and looking in, it kind of looks like they're arrogant, smart asses, and think they know it all. In actuality, they're just really driven and passionate and have a lot of ownership. Right. And so, and we we deal with that all the time, and and we just accept it and are okay with it. So we have to make sure that we're really compassionate for other people. I'm talking about my crew now because we deal with the same things that I, I remember seeing from outside and then dealt with on the inside. So I have just, I, I'm very driven and passionate. I want everybody around me to be the same way, but it also puts off a certain aura of, of uh, you know, people thinking we're a certain type of way. And until you work with us, you don't know, and you right. hear all the stories and that's fine. Uh, uh, I, I, I sleep just comfortable at night. People that know right. me, know me and the ones that don't, you know, it is what it is. And uh, so, um, you know, Carlisle, great experience. I, I stayed there all the way up. A lot of good mentors, a lot of good people. Um, great company for me then. Uh, I, I talk highly of them all the time to the point some people are like, why don't you just go back? Well, I did at one point in time. I was a relief captain on the CSS Texas uh, with my crews and um, did that. And that's where I started the Maritime Throwdown. Then I was uh, – I had went to work. But I got cut loose. Let me back that up. When I got cut loose – I left Carline with my mate's license. I was training with um, uh, with uh, I found a captain that I wanted to finish training. I trained with Mikey B and, and Gary and those guys, and then uh, uh, Captain uh, Kenny Owens. I wanted him to train me, uh, close quarter, close like headlining and stuff like that. I mean, he was just real smooth with it. Stayed in the fleet, so I needed to get on his boat to get a lot of close quarter handling and and all of that because I had the line haul stuff done. But what was crazy is then you had to get the light boat handling. It's crazy is how good you can be at uh, line hauling until you go to break out and it's I was all over the place yeah. and so and then and so I had to go through that and I wanted to be with him so he finally said he'd train me and I went over there with him he he ran the dog crap out of me and then uh, I got my mate's license in and within three months I found a small company that would hire me with my mate's license and I left uh, a captain there that worked with us uh, Cotton he uh, his son on the boat he owned two boats one sank a week before me starting and one sank when we own it about two months later and so uh they were little junky boats but uh i got cut loose like uh, all the good captains i ran across i was like what do i have to do to be like you and they were like well son get off these cadillacs that if you want them to walk you just split the engines and split the rudders and it goes get off of these boats and go get on a small boat and push as many barges as you can with as, the bare minimum of electronics and legalities you got to have and you'll learn how to run a boat well luckily i did just that i went to a little six seven hundred horsepower boat pushing two and three and four little barges, little small barges. And, um, I mean, the radar was tiny, had an AIS box, paper charts, a flashlight that was brighter <laughs> than my spotlight. And, um, and, and, I mean, one bunk room, three beds in that one bunk room. The only head was in that bunk room. Yeah, I washed my clothes in a bucket. I crapped in a bucket. And so – And now, how, how old are you at this time? <laughs> yeah, I know, right? You hear the stories. It seems like I'm really old. I'm 41, and so then I was I was 30. 30 with was, uh, uh, what kind of situation at home? Uh, 30 years old. I was married, four kids, and uh, did the job add stress to the thing, or did were y'all already kind of work through that? 
What's that? Just the the schedule. That schedule you were working, hustling. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Well, well, what's funny was is to me, uh, like when I was on when I got on that little boat, you know, uh, the schedule there was twenty eight fourteen. I normally worked fourteen seven all through my career, and as a deckhand, I had to work over to make ends meet, and I was fine. But when I got in the wheelhouse, I got it was twenty eight fourteen. It was supposed to be twenty eight fourteen. And dealing me being in that element on that boat, it felt like camping to me. Like I, I'll, I'll, I'll switch my mentality to where I'm happy in the environment I'm in. Like I, I'm going to morph to it and find the positives in it. Yeah. I treated it as a big camping adventure, and I was good. I mean, we literally would jump off the back of the boat and wash and then rinse off with the potable water because the, the body water was cleaner than the potable water. Um, we grilled. I mean, you just treated it as I got a 28 day of camping. Like we had swimming trunks, cut off sleeve t-shirts, and flip flops. Like I said, a little small company there out of, out of Bayou Buffalo, Louisiana, over by Amelia. And uh, we ran barges down to Fouchon and ran them over to Galveston and, and, and Cameron, little uh, Bayright barges. So um, my wife, though, she was so upset that I was having to deal with all these these working conditions, you know. And she was like, I'm, I'm so sorry that you're having to do this. I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, I'm I'm eating this up. Like, I mean, uh, this is this is great. But when the, the the captain of the boat was like, son, you need to, he says, you're ready. You need to go. I was there for like a month. He says, you're, you're, I don't know what you're doing here, but you need to get out of here. He says, this company's not for a guy like you. You need to go. I was like, well, I needed to get cut loose and, and nobody was going, he says, you're ready. He says, let me know. And I'll, I'll put my reference in, you need to go to a bigger company. So I went to, um, I ended up at Cheryl K. A friend of mine called me up and my, my, my theory that you were going to know a lot of people in there in the industry, because if you work hard, they're going to call you and, and recruit you based off your work ethic. And that's exactly what happened in all my right. situations. You know, uh, this guy heard me on the radio, man, what are you doing on that piece of crap? Boat? You need to come over here and uh, got hired on over there and uh, got two thirties in the Mississippi river running back and up, up and down and running the canal and uh, jumped into that. Had a lot of good, um, still have my mate's license. Um, Which vessel was that? I, uh, it was the Ian Earl. Okay. The uh, it's stacked over there at the office now in Houston. It was on the Ian Earl. Uh, we had two thirties pushing for Harley Marine, uh, black oil uh, from Baton Rouge to, to New Orleans, back and forth. And then, uh, we made a trip up to Catoosa, Oklahoma, which was really cool. Uh, and then run the canal back over to Beaumont, Port Arthur area, and then also Houston and Corpus. So did all that. Then I got into bunkering in Houston with Cheryl K for Harley, which is now centerline energy bunker for them. And then, um, fell in love with Houston. It's busy and wild and crazy, and most people hate it. The ones that work over there love it. It's just a whole different ball game over there. I, I try to co- kind of compare it. If somebody wants to, like the, I just don't understand if they don't, if they're not on boats and been to Houston. I was like, imagine driving an eighteen wheeler backwards in Houston traffic. That's kind of equivalent to what it's like running in Houston. Like, right, you know, all the right. radio channels and all the traffic. Yeah, so I ended up there in Houston with Cheryl K. Uh, at a certain point, there's a lot of changing going on uh, in management, and I uh, left there, went to Triple S, ran six packs over there for them until that contract ended. They, they, we had a handshake deal. He's like, man, I'm going to let you know your, your pay is going to drop if we lose a six-pack contract. I was like, I'm cool with that. How long ago I had it? He said, you know, about a year or so. I was like, okay, but you don't seem to still be holding on. He's like a five-year contract. I said, okay, well, so far I've did good for a year. I'll take that. And I shook his hand. I said, well, we'll shake hands at when you drop my rate, that's the day that I'll be looking for another job. He's like, no problem. We shook hands and we, uh, I went to work, uh, pushing six right. packs with those guys. Yeah. Enjoyed my run there. Uh, I think it maybe it lasted around a year left there, went to Carline. That's when I went back to Carline as a relief captain on the CSS Texas, which was the last boat I was on when I left there as a mate, as a deckhand. And, uh, so that was a really cool experience. I was there for, I think two or three years. And okay. uh, that's when I that's when I started the maritime throwdown, and then uh, a situation came up that I was needing more time off and flexibility to kind of have meetings and go meet with people and do events. So I went back to Cheryl K. I live in Macomb Summit area, so I'm an hour and 45 minutes everywhere from Vicksburg all the way to New Orleans. So it's a really good location, so I can meet and do different things down here. And then that put me in Houston to where people I was in Houston's backyard twice a month when I was doing crew change. So if I needed to go meet with somebody or do something, I could easily eat more easy and um, have flexibility with my schedule. And then, then we got bought up by Ingram uh, two years ago in December. So it, it just came up on a two year anniversary. So it's been, it changed up that a little bit, which, um, you know, that whole thing with Ingram coming in, getting us, I went from a small company, always working for small companies and, 
I worked, I worked for Kirby for one week and it just uh, one hitch and it just wasn't for me, you know? So I, I went right back to the, the Cheryl K. Like it's not even enough to really mention, but um, I just knew big company culture wasn't for me at the time. And then when I heard Ingram was getting us, picking us up, I was like, you know what? If I was going to give any big company a try, I'm going to, I'm going to give uh, Ingram a shot. You know, I've heard nothing but good things and I'm going to see what I can do. And it was rough. The transition has been challenging, but uh you know, the, the, the core values and everything, which was really refreshing because my crew that was sitting at the table for our first initial meeting, you know, with, 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 uh, with, and, and all the HR team and all these people, the, the initial meeting was, they had the, the Ingram core values and all this kind of stuff laid out, you know, and the Ingram way. And we're, we're like, bro, this is the stuff you talk about all the time. I was like, isn't it cool? I said, I've never seen this. I said, so this is going to be really easy for us, you know? I said, because we all I already talk about these things. So we're good, you know? wasn't as easy as I thought because we didn't have the challenge of having so many different debt crew coming and going and moving because you have so many more opportunities in this huge organization that like, it's just, it's just, it's wild. But I was like, we got to stick it through. Let's just stick it through. And it's been a learning curve, but all in all, it's been a positive thing. And I'm glad I did, but going from small culture to large, I think they do the best they can to try to keep it small, you know, but there's only so many things you can, you know, you can't do. And, and I respect that. I think there's uh it's been good, you know, and so a lot of cool opportunities that you can't do for a small company that you're able to do with a company yeah. the size of Ingram. Well, what, uh, so what I'm, I'm proud to work here. What boat are you uh, I'm the, I'm the uh, captain of the Mr. Earl in Houston for is HFS. That one, is that one of the jack up boats or the Harbor? Uh, it's, it's one of the Harbor boats. It's not a jack up. We do uh, shifts around Houston. We run West uh, to Colorado river and point comfort, stuff like that. What's your favorite? Do you like going out far? Yeah, yeah. I, I love Houston. I would love it if I could leave and go east and west ever so often. Yeah, I like running all over. I, Houston keeps you busy and on your toes. I guess that's why I like it so much because you cannot relax, and I like that. When you get in the canal, if I do certain runs for a long time, it, it gets real boring. But um, over in Houston, you crossing that bay, you have to watch for the weather and, and all these other things, these elements and all the traffic. So it just keeps my mind firing at 100 miles an hour, which I enjoy. So that's why I love Houston so much. But every so often, it's great to go east and west, and yeah. I don't mind doing it. And the opportunity now is I, I've got time that I can go trip over if I want and go hop on a six-pack and go get to ride to Baton Rouge and New Orleans, you know. So I'm, I'm excited about that as well. Well, tell me about Maritime Throwdown. When it began, what it has become since. Yeah. So what happened, um, it was uh, – I was – at Carline on the CSS Texas, and uh, I was wanting to do something on the side at home. And I was like, you know what? I, I want to get a stump grinder or carpet cleaner or something, you know. And I was digging in the side hustles that I could do. And everything I found, you know, you look at my hometown to kind of look at the saturation of the market. And I was like, man, I, I, I just felt bad about it. I had a gut feeling as like, I just don't feel like that I make a good, I've got a good career. And if I do something on the side, I don't want to be taking food for somebody else, is how I felt at the time. And I was like, this small town, like, this is their bread and butter for their family. And if I go in or cut into that, I didn't feel good about it. I don't know, you know. And so I was like, ah, I don't want to do that. So I was like, what is it something that I want to do that – and I always had an idea as a deckhand that I wanted to see an American Ninja Warrior for tow boaters. And so I was like, what would that look like? And I started just brainstorming hard on that. Uh -huh. And um, and so thinking of that concept, I went from saying, okay – Man, it's so funny talking about this because I was uh, at Baton Rouge and I mean, I drew out all these plans and I was like, okay, so I wanted to be, because we built tow. So I was like, I wanted to be tow building. When you break down the logistics of doing a tow building competition, one, insurance laughs at you. Two, timing wise, it's, it's almost impossible to pull it off at the level that it would be at. But my initial concept was I would have, okay. I'll get sponsors to bring in spud barges at Baton Rouge Riverfront where the stairs are, right? We'll put spud barges down. We'll put two loads, two empties, make a high-low coupling. We'll, we'll dog them down, rest them up tight, but you have no four and halves. And we'll build a high-low four and a half coupling with winches, stationary, and, and uh, portable rigging on your market set go. And I'm talking you would add in the worst, high lows, the, everything. You have timbers on the lower side. When you start breaking it down, you start talking to tow boaters. You say, how long would it take you and your best guy, whoever you want to pick as a team, to build a high-low coupling, you know, uh, between a four-pack? 
oh, man, it'll take 45 minutes. It'll take 20 minutes. You start hearing all these numbers. Well, I start compiling the numbers and just start looking at it logistically. It's like, holy cow, okay, this isn't what, you know, this isn't feasible. Like, if I had 10 competitors, we're into, you know, it's, you know, minimum 600 minutes, you know, and you start breaking right. down, like, what would that, and and then you start calling insurance companies and everything, and you realize, okay, this, this just isn't, isn't going to work. So then it went from that to, you know, I kept brainstorming. I was like, man, you know, just like, how are you going to do this? So finally, I was like, you know what? I got to line handling because the whole idea was, I was like, you know what? What do we have in common? No matter where we're at in the world, no matter where we're at on boats, smallest P row to the largest ship, we have lines in common. So, okay, we're going to do line handling. So then I start breaking that down. And then by the time I get down to it, I said, we got some throws and we got, uh, you know, some fair leads. And uh, if I had, um, you know, my first business concept was like, everybody talks about how great they are on the boats. Everybody runs their mouth about how great they are. So I'm like, okay, easily. If I put up a few thousand dollars, I'll have a hundred, I'll have a hundred people want to sign up, you know, and so entry fees and then have some food and I can make this thing happen. You know, that's a joke because you realize real quick, you start talking to guys, which what's a, what's a decent throw. You know, but everybody talks, Oh, 25 foot ain't crap. You know, 25, 30 foot ain't nothing. Well, I'm like, okay. And I keep hearing this all the time. Nobody's really measuring their throws based off of that. I'm like, well, I want to make it easy. So I'm gonna make it half of that. I'm gonna make it 15 foot, 16 foot. So I made the course. There's going to be mirroring courses, 40-foot stages, three obstacles 16-foot away to throw at, like two vertical cables and an extended pile, four sets of platforms that have fair leads between cables and timberheads, a lead, and a number of parts. And uh, fastest time wins, you know, a few thousand dollars, you know. And then we'll have a single part longest line thrown and caught, and then we'll have a life ring toss. Well, at first I was going to do a grapple, grapple hook toss, but insurance kicked that out real quick, like, they said, grapple hook, that seems kind of dangerous. They pull it up. They say, yeah, you don't want to know that. So I went to a life ring toss, and uh, that was my first competition. And uh, it was in an arena in uh, Lamar Dixon in Gonzales, Louisiana. It was powdered dirt. Okay, I did auger down holes, stood 16-foot-tall light poles up with cowls on the side and an extended pile. And it was miserable. It was nothing that I imagined. I imagined – being in like in a venue like the workboat show or IMX. Yeah. I imagine that I imagine giving away a brand new truck. I imagine all this, this full right. production thing. And then here I am in this dirt and this stuff. And then like competitors, all these people talking smack about how good they are. I ended up having to basically pay people to be there. Like listen, uh just show up. I called my friends that was in Houston and I worked with so like guys, please do me a favor, just show up. I need you to be here just so I can make this a proof of concept. But at this point we're just talking. People don't believe it's real. We got the money. We just want to give it away. Just show up. Okay. And we had a timer and, you know, they showed up and we had like, I think six competitors on your market set go. They hit the button. They tied a fair lead, ran around the uh, pole, did another fair lead. They did this four times, come up on stage and they threw. These throws, when I stood those poles up, when I was building the course at night, I looked at them. I was like, holy cow, what have I done? Because 16 foot stood up about four foot grade above you. It looks huge. It is huge. Right. And so I put the tape measure on it like 12 times. I was like, holy cow, man, this looks bad. And so I threw it and I caught them. I said, well, if I can catch them, well, oh, so be it. You know, we're talking a few thousand dollars here. So it is what it is. So we had him go. You know, we ended up having an offshore captain that was really passionate. He just loved what I was doing. He said, hey, I will be there. And so Captain Stretch, he showed up. Uh, Brandon Breland. So Jerry Berry, he's my announcer. He's been my official announcer. It was an accident. He shows up and just grabs the mic and starts talking. Awesome job. So he's, he's my official announcer and always has been now. But he was there. He said, I got a deckhand. That I'll do everybody there. I promise you he's going to win. And he'd been talking smack since day one. He uh, brings Brandon Breland in. And then I had Travis, which he's a captain there at HFS. He came in. Colin, he's a captain at HFS now. He came in. And uh, Stephen Connor. And I feel like I'm going to forget somebody. And there was another guy, another captain. A lot of Willman in this mix, you know. So that, that was kind of a trend that kept going throughout the years that I had to adjust. But – um. These guys ran, and then Stephen Connor scared the crap out of me because tow boaters don't give up, okay? That's one thing we found out real quick, like, he threw for 26, 27 minutes straight and would not stop. His final throw that he finally caught it was underneath his legs and kind of granny threw it and caught it. And uh, he was about exhausted, about blew his shoulder out, you know? Yeah. Um, I had uh, Frank Bumgarner show up from Marquette at the time. He shows up. I said, man, you look official. Who are you? He's like, I'm Frank. I'm from Marquette. I said, what are you doing here? How do you find this? Said, My wife's seen it on Facebook. I'm here to recruit. <laughs> he said, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm here to recruit. I said, well, that makes sense. That's what I've always wanted to do. You know, like, I mean, this kind of like made sense to me. 
we're going to have some of the best guys here. He said, but I'm going to be honest. I said, what is, what is your opinion from your side of the desk? What does it look like? And he said, man, I'm going to be honest. This kind of scares me. It looks like it's real dangerous. And I was like, yeah, I see that. And I'm going to I plan on addressing that right now. So as we go back, um, you know, my core sponsors, man, was just people that was just helping me out basically get going, which was, you know, Mark Larmue, um with Hooked Up Hard Down. And, you know, he's a friend of mine. We came up at Carline together. So he was like, you know, he sponsored a little bit. And then uh, uh, I think I made him the headline sponsor. I said, man, it's just going to sound good. You know, uh, Maritime Throwdown, you know, buy Hooked Up Hard Down, you know. And I said, I think it's still sound great. And so he did that for me. And then I had uh, a friend of mine uh, that worked with me there at the beginning was uh, Jason. And he had anchored a muscle. And it, it sounded really good. And, and so we had anchored in muscle and hooked up hard down and maritime throwdown and uh, Delgado actually got to show up. They showed up at my very first event and, and that was really cool. Uh, Gris Marine, which is the school that I went to, uh, which was LaFouche school was the school I went to as a wheelman, as, as a steersman. And then uh, a friend of mine, Brian, he's an 18 wheeler driver that makes models in the back of his truck. And it was just, just us, you know, it wasn't all, it wasn't like I expected, but it, it, you know, we, we got some good footage at the time of it and was able to make proof of concept that, you know, Hey, we're right. going to make this competition. Right. My problem was, as I had these poles, I had to stand up and I could only dig holes and stand them up. I was like, this can't work. So me and a friend of mine brainstormed and we made it to where there was 10 foot tall light poles. We bolted together so I could build this thing. It was taking four hours, five hours to build it about 30 minutes to break it down. I mean, standing 10 foot light poles with two or three people is, is hard with no equipment. And so I built it and I got invited to work boat. So we did work boat. We got invited to IMX. We did IMX and it's kind of rotated to where um, work boat was great. That was always my dream. And then once I got there, I realized that it's more uh, shipbuilding and maintenance stuff. And they were trying to draw the towboat crowd there, the inland towboat crowd. They're trying to draw it more there. That's what they were utilizing thus far, which made sense. Um, then the inland Marine expo, which was Watersway journal, they they had sponsored me my first year and I didn't understand that they had the IMX. Well, when I went to it, I was like, okay, what am I doing? Like, was at first the line handling was all vessels. You could be on spy boats, crew boats, whatever, right? Well, come to find out, nobody handles line like inland inland tow boaters. Nobody. And and I, I that, people get their feelings hurt all the time. Nobody can handle lines like inland tow boaters. I don't care. They, they, there's some guys all shore that are really good and can come in there and compete and, could, and can win. But as a whole, nobody does the line. We tie off barges together. We tie off in fleets. We do our headlines. We use capstans. We tie to these crazy docks that are built on the Mississippi River to deal with the highs and lows. And right. we tie into Houston on ship docks. And, like, I, I came from offshore. I know what we do out there. So, like, I, I, I can say that, and I've seen it as well. But uh, so nonetheless, when I realized that, and I, I talked to some offshore companies, and said, son, we don't have anybody to do what you do. And uh, so at that point, I was like, you know what? I'm going to niche down. I'm going to focus on what I know and, and, and what I love, which is the inland towing industry. And that's what I pulled back from. Everything else I was doing, I said, you know what? I'm focusing strictly on the inland towboat industry. And so when I did that, I was like, okay, what am I, what am I doing? Because I just wanted to have fun, okay? I wanted to see, go back to the beginning, American Ninja Warrior for towboaters. It turned yep. into something else because what I found was, and all the crap talking of everybody and, 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 and all of this. And throughout the years, there's a skills gap. Nobody talks crap around me anymore because we've got money on the line and just, I suggest you not because we will video you. And so uh, that's what we do. And uh, not to make fun of you, but just don't talk smack, like just get better, go practice. So we said, okay, there's a skills gap because people talk really, these guys are really talk really big that wasn't showing up. And, but the guys that were showing up, we never heard from them. They were quiet but they were competitive and not everybody's competitive to do this, but you're going to be skilled and you're going to be passionate. There's not a tow boater one that has come and competed that aren't passionate about what they do because we're doing extracurricular activities to do with a tow boat. If you don't love this, you're not doing that, you know? So it says a lot about the competitors, whether they win or lose, it doesn't matter. They're passionate about the industry and about their skills. And so that's what started coming out of it. So okay, we have a skills gap and we have a, a pride issue and now we have a shortage of people in this industry that 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 are prideful and and we need that we need that uh, type of person in this industry and and to grow that pride and ownership in the industry so that's what we've been focusing on since 
a few years back, about four years back. So that's turned into what we do now is companies will call us in and we'll do a training day and we'll go in and we can help recruit, train and retain all in one day. Um, so we bring our rig, which we had our rig built. Uh, I designed it out and uh, I'm not going to say who did it, but um, there was one of your guests, your past guests that actually built it for me. And so I'm grateful for him, but he has still hasn't given me permission to uh, tell, tell anybody. So I'm not going to. I won't but, tell uh, him he knows who he is. Yeah. Yeah. He knows. And uh, I tell him any chance I get how, how grateful I am for him. So I designed the rig. He built it for me. So I was able to show up at the workboat show and unfold this rig. And uh, it's progressed in what I wanted it, my, my dream that I've got here. And I can show up within 20, 30 minutes. I'm set up, ready to have a competition, train, and, and to do all these things. And so, um, you know, some companies, they call us in for their, their family days. They'll bring us in to have fun. And, and we're still getting some residual training. We can come into a rural area to a festival, a crawfish bowl, or what have you, that already has a built-in crowd. And then we set up. You bring some of your crew in that you want to train or they want to put a scroll on the leaderboard. We'll train them up that day and people get to ask questions. What are y'all doing? And we get to tell them about the industry and, and recruit, you know, and uh, you can bring your recruits in to see what we do. And when they see what we do, you kind of eliminate half the people there because they're like, oh, that looks hard. That looks tough. Like, yeah, this is just a small part of what we do. If they don't like it, you see some that gravitate to us. They're like, man, show me how to do that. That's your people. That's who you want. And so we've seen that and that's what we're doing. Yeah, uh, multiple locations, or how do you do that? So uh, I'm mobile. So I've got my rig, and I pull on site. And um, we're about to be partnering with uh, colleges uh, in all geographical areas. So we have a program that we have. We've had A&M and Sanjac and, and, and uh, Northeast Maritime Institute in Massachusetts, all these schools reaching out, like, how can we help? What can we be a part of? And just figuring that out has been challenging, but we've just figured out how we're going to do it. And so uh, we'll, we've got a, a program that we'll be putting training units there that people can go in and, and put a score on a leaderboard and then do all these different things. So we'll have physical locations that people can go put a score on the leaderboard to end up at the finals. So the whole program will be, now that it's refined, is that we'll have our finals at IMX. And we've solidified that. They said, if the IMX is happening, we're there for our finals. Leading up to the finals, throughout the industry, throughout the United States, people are able to go to these locations and put a score on the leaderboard. So we're going to have three different leaderboards, one for students, one for active deckhands, and one for wheelhouse. Because the wheelhouse got upset when we started increasing the prizes of like $10,000 and $10,000 four-wheelers to, I was like, hey, we're trying to increase the skill and safety and ownership of the deck crew. We already have that built in the wheelhouse. We make good money. Like, I'm not giving you $10,000, okay? Let's... And besides that, women were winning every year. Whether the deck crews want to hear that or not, women were winning. So let's just focus and let's give that all back to the deck crews that work hard and, and, and try to help the next deck crew get up and, you know, get that skill level up, give them an external reason to do better. And so, and then the students come out of all these other schools and stuff and these programs. So I'm like, that's important too. We're going to do three leaderboards. You show up, put a score on the leaderboard. So the course, contrary to what it looks like, it looks like they're just running all over the place. There's a, um, we have a training criteria that's on there that scored like golf. So the lower score wins. For right now, you got three tries on, three tries off. Each one's a point. And um, we score those. And anything that you have to physically do, like a hollow tie-off or not, they're three points, uh, solid three points, pass or fail. Either you pass it or you fail it. The knots, we have the knot trifecta, which right now uh, I'm going to be adding a knot. So I'm going to take one knot out and add another one. So you'll have a bowling. You'll have a double becket securing two lines together and then in the bite you'll take it and do a it used to be a bowling and a bite but i'm taking the bowling and the bite out and i'm putting in a uh, alpine butterfly and people will see why we're making videos on that now while we're doing that again deck crews you ask somebody if they know how to tie bowling you get 50 50 like oh yeah i think everybody should know how to tie one but uh now i'll make them tie three but i mean it could be the difference if you win in ten thousand dollars or not so it's kind of an external reason to kind of learn it right so yeah with that being said go through the course and it has a score there's a time element to it as well, so you don't overexert yourself. All the throws are 10 foot or less, so that's the biggest thing that people like, oh, there are these huge throws. No, they're not. They're 10 foot, but they force certain line me mechanics, that uh, line manipulation that forces you to train, and you can train on your fleet deck. I trained Trong, Justin Trong. Um, he was the champ two years ago. Uh, I trained him on my fleet deck. 
Uh, and uh, he was already good, don't get me wrong, but we finessed all his skills on the fleet deck. And uh, we were on the dock throwing at the push knees. So every boat has push knees in a fleet deck, most of them, or have somewhere you can throw 10 foot. Measure it out and just get really good at catching it every time, working that line around. That's what we're doing, man. Um, it's, it's scorable now. You know, we can go through and, 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 and during the competitions, when we pull off a regional and we pull off these, uh, these finals, we have course officials on the, flat, on, on the course and they could throw flags for being in a bite. So you'll lose a point. Well, you'll gain a point, which is a negative thing. Uh, you'll gain a point for being in a bite, um, all those things. So we're looking for all these safety issues. So, yeah, so it increases skill and safety through competition. How often are you hosting events? So, you know, I've been working 14-7 by this entire seven years that I've been doing this. So it's been really challenging to do all the things that I've talked about. And so a lot of people know that I've talked about growing this into what I'm talking about now. And this year, I'll be doing those things. So we'd have one. And we'd do pop-up competitions, so we never could really lay them out. We'd lay them out as far as we could. Mm-hmm. But a lot of times, a company would call us up and say, hey, man, we're having a crawfish bowl show at Woodstone, for example. One of those at their crawfish festival, uh, their, their, their family day. And we got to show up to that. Um, we did an event with uh, uh, the Cajun Shack in my hometown. He's a captain. We did one there. as was a pop-up event. We did a bar, bar training services in Paducah. We went up there and trained his crew. So we did an event up there. Um, we do events with uh, Riverworks Discovery, any opportunity we have. We love working with them. They do outreach for high school students uh, for the industry. So we'll be able to pull our rig up and show them line handling. That's mm-hmm. our small part during, during their event. So we really enjoy that. And that just happens if I'm happen to be off during my seven days off. And me and my ops, man, I tell you what, I know I'm a hard person to manage and hats off to him. And, and, and uh, so, so uh, those two guys, uh, I, I'm definitely a handful to manage. Because I'm driven in, in both different directions. I'm very passionate about my career and my position at Ingram and uh, very passionate about Maritime Fairground. And they've been very good at uh, trying to meet in the middle. And so I'm so thankful for that because uh, now I can have multiple events. Uh, for 2023, I do know that I will have at least a minimum of three regionals. And uh, one's going to be in Houston. Um, I don't know the, 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 the date. Uh, probably in March, if I had to guess. And I will have one, New Orleans, Baton Rouge. I may have one or two there. I may have one in my hometown, which is a draw that people can come to. I know for a fact those three and very, very possible one in Paducah. And this is all before May. We plan on having three to four regionals. And uh, we plan on going into those uh, those port towns, reaching out to companies. And, and hopefully we have five companies that will pick up a day leading up to that event. And then we'll do a training day for that company and then lead up to that regional and those company winners will end up at that regional. And then anybody in that geographical area that wants to show up, that wants to put a score on the board, show up and uh, throw it down. And this is all sponsor funded? Yes, it's sponsor funded. And, um, and, 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 and well, it's also, I, I had towboat companies sponsor me. Bushnell Towing is my number one sponsor every year. They've, they've the ones that push me to say, man, when I, when I think about giving up, say, man, what am I doing? I always think about them because since day one, they've been there and I'll come in for their boat christenings. I do day, you know, training days there. And um, these companies are wanting me to be there like, like once a quarter at least, you know? And so I mean, I just couldn't commit to it because I have the schedule. So what we, and I was tired of like a towboat company don't need me. They don't need to sponsor me. You know what I'm saying? I didn't feel like I could give them value and it bothered me. So I've got three different customers that I market to one's the competitors, the other one is the towing industry, the towing companies that have debt crew. And the other one is people that want to be in front of the towing company and, you know, in front of the towing industry. That's easy because we have videos that gets hundreds of thousands. I've got one live uh, MTD video that's got 9.3 million views. Nobody gets that kind of attention for our industry in a positive light. We're hitting bridges or, you know, sinking or whatever. So nothing has got that kind of attention like that. And so we're able to grab attention for the industry in a positive light. And also, we do cool trick shots and stuff for the, the uh, sponsors that want to be in front of the industry. Uh, the towing company, like I said, it bothered me. So I was like, what can I do to bring value to them? Well, that's what we do. We come in for these company days, do training, retaining, and, and recruiting for them. So when they hire us in for that day, we can go wherever. We can come on site. We can go to a, we can go to a rural uh, uh, festival that's already got built-in music and food. We can do whatever they want. Right. Um, and however they want. You just release us for that day, and we get to work on whatever you see fit. How is uh, how's family life with all this going on? Oh, man. Uh, luckily, I have a great wife that uh, she, she 
I don't know that she loves Maritime Throwdown because <laughs> she's like, if I want something fixed, I just need to put a Maritime Throwdown logo on it. You'll work on it because I'm 365 Maritime Throwdown on my head. And the the, the other, when I'm on the boat, I'm, I'm, I'm committed to that. So I'm spread thin. Um, it's taken us a lot of places. You know, um, we love the, we love the IMX and workboat shows. We love going to the small companies. So she loves that, but the, all the work behind the scenes never stops. And so thankful for her. I have that. My kids have grown up for so seven years. I mean, so my oldest is, um, he's 26. Uh, other girl is 22, 21, another girl. And then my son is 18. Um, and then I have my nephew as well. He's about to be 14. But my son, 18 years old, uh, he, he just got on a towboat. Uh, he turned 18 and six days later, he's on a boat. He's been doing maritime throwdown since he was 13. He's been in these events, uh, helping set up, doing the line. He was I brought him at 13 because he was a showstopper. I mean, he could throw 25 foot at 13 years old with a two inch line and uh, yeah. it made people more comfortable going out there. Right. So he's been trying to get recruited by almost every company that run across him. Like we want this kid. So that was excited for him. But uh, I'm like, boy, you better work hard because everybody's watching, you know, right. he's made me proud um, doing that. So he's an in industry. Matter of fact, last night we had Christmas and he wasn't here and he's not going to be here for my Christmas. I was like, well, I did that because uh, he's on a boat and that's just part of the life. Where so is he running? Lesson already. Where is he uh, running? He works, he works for uh, Dupree, um, Dupree Marine, um, and uh, he's on the uh, the Ombre Dupree. And so they run up and down the Mississippi and runs the ICW. Okay. And so, yeah, I wanted to get with a company that had nice equipment and um, good small company culture. And um, it's really easy to be seen as an asset at a smaller company. Um, and, and they have nice equipment and they got good management. And uh, it's important, uh, all those things, it goes back to, a lot of challenges that every company deals with, you know, is the culture uh, there uh, anywhere. And it's just smaller companies that are easier to kind of control. And, and, and there they push unit toes and they also push, I call it unorthodox toe building when you're chopping up, building all kinds of stuff. I wanted him to get that because I think that was so, so important for development for people that came out of car line is we could build loads, empties, jumbos, regulations all together with dragon crane barges and everything else. But somebody gets used to building the exact same toe all the time. They get a little handicap. So I liked that and I wanted him to get that. So yeah, he's there and that's what he's doing. And he's, he's, so what I'm hearing, he's doing really good. Good. Um, I try to stay, I try to let him be him and I try to stay out of it and uh, let, let the captains do their thing and let's leave him alone. And I'm so far what I'm hearing, I'm, I'm really, really proud of him. Yeah. Then my daughter's, uh, uh, my, my youngest daughter, she's uh, engaged to be married in October of this year, 2023. And then uh, my other daughter, she's married, and we have an awesome son-in-law. And then my oldest is here together, and great daughter-in-law, and two grandbabies, and we just love it. Are, are they in the you know, Are they in the industry, or what are they uh, all? Do? No, no. Uh, the oldest, he came out here for about uh, three days and decided it wasn't for him. And he's like, "I'm." I, I was like, "All you got to do is you owe uh, you owe your mom and your dad a a, a plan C." Plan A was college. Plan B was boats. You didn't like it, so you got my plan C. Make sure your plan C is solid. And he's like, "Yes, sir." I said, "This ain't for everybody. There's no problem, not at all." I said, and, and so he he came home. I said, "Look, wake up in the morning, put your boots on, and try to go to work. And if you can't do it, do not let it get in your head. You just come to the house, have a plan C. Think about that tonight." And he did. He wanted. He said, "I'm gonna be an electrician." Well, he did, and he's fine. <laughs> he's right. an electrician, and then uh, son-in-laws are uh, boiler maker, welders, and pipe fitters, and and then my son's on a towboat. So, Your yeah. daughters work. Oh man, they're lucky. They uh, they don't have to work. They're uh, I guess they saw uh, you know how I raised my family. I didn't want my wife to have to work to stay home with the family, and so they've got. Like I said, man, I, I'm blessed with son-in-laws because these dudes here are hardworking, and uh, they can do. My daughters can do whatever they want. They can work if they want to work, or not if they don't. And they, my daughter's got a my, my my first grandson. He's two years old, so she has her hand full with that. Yeah. Oh, that, that's a full-time job for sure. For sure. So, yeah, the um, growing up, all my kids growing up with me doing what I'm doing and, you know, in the towing industry and everything, I had to go back in hindsight. It, were, it was easier on me because I was divorced and, um, you know, we had a really good deal worked out that every time I was home, I got my kids no matter what my schedule was. If I had to work over, well, she just kept them. And then, you know, I, I got them when I got them home the whole time. For me, I mean, other times I wanted to quit based off of just my kids you know um i would leave in the middle of the night two three o'clock in the morning to go to work and one time i didn't leave 
at two or three o'clock in the morning. I left at like two o'clock in the daytime for some reason. And it was the worst thing I ever done. Um, I said, I will never leave during the daytime again. Everybody was awake. They were crying, you know, and everything. And so uh, I about quit that day on the way to work. I cried on the way to work. I was like, what am I doing? What am I doing? So I feel, I see all these posts on social media where these people are talking about the hard life and about our kids and leaving them and packing our bags. And it is the most heart-wrenching thing, and I get it. But I laid down a calculator and calculated the time that I would have if I did a retail job or whatever else I could do in my small town and broke it down, and I could not justify coming to land. And right. um, so much so that my ex-wife was like, listen, you won't have to pay child support. Just come home. I was like, that's not a problem. No, I'm not doing it. Just come home. Get up. I broke it down. I was like, I'm, I can't, I'm not going to. This opportunity, the, dis- the support for our family, uh, the quality time that when I do come home is able to focus on my family. And you don't get that when you work a nine, well, you don't really work a nine to five anymore. You know, when you work a right. land job, right. the hours that you put in, you're exhausted when you come home. It's not quality. Um, the weekend, you're trying to force everything into the weekend. And so I broke it down and uh, I justified myself being on the boats. And uh, so, so much so that I, I believed in it enough to bring my son out here. And uh, I get everybody's argument. It's not for everybody else. Uh, it's not for everybody. But um, my family, I went back and had conversations with my daughters and sons. It's like, listen, are y'all good? Like, I mean, I know I was gone a lot, but are y'all good? They're like, dad, we're a hundred percent fine. You know, nowadays you have FaceTime and, you're able to connect constantly, you know, with your family. You know, we have family chats on our text messages where we talk all the time, you know, so that's really important. And, um, you know, to stay connected to your family. And, you know, we were able to go on vacations all the time and do all these things because of this industry. And, you know, this industry uh, changed my I'm first generation, highly passionate because, uh, like I said, I'm a high school dropout, got my GED, and uh, I do very well for myself and my family. And that's why. That's a driving motivator behind Maritime Throwdown is that I want to show as many people the industry in some unique way to let them know that you know this exists. Because like I said, I live an hour and 30 minutes from the Mississippi River, sometimes 45 minutes as a crow flies. Didn't know it existed. Been across the river bridges, worked on the Mississippi River on supply boats and didn't know it existed. Like it doesn't make any sense. And so there's still so many people that don't know. And so with the competition, we want to hit the streets and be able to tell we have something unique and tell people that this still exists. And, all these other organizations that we work with, they all have their niece piece into that. And uh, it's just really cool to be able to work with them and understand that it's it's an industry collective that's got to make this happen. And I'm really excited to share that is because, um, you know, it's not one individual company. I don't want to get behind just one company. I don't want to, you know, do that. I'm, I'm an advocate for the individual Mariner and increasing their skill and safety, no matter who they work for. Because I, I think it's all these companies have really good training programs and safety programs. Uh, the smaller companies don't have the, the means to have those big facilities sometimes, but uh, that doesn't mean they can't have the same opportunities for their debt group. And so with what we're doing, we're able to come on site and give them a piece of that, you know, um, and, and get them connected. And let's be honest, we're recycling experience debt crew all the time. That's just the industry always, we're hiring experience, you know, um, you're recycling experience debt crew. Let's just make sure everybody is at the level they need to be at and go yeah. from there because we don't talk just line handling. We talk about all the safety aspects of proper PPE, carrying stuff on the, you know, outbound shoulder, all these things. So um, that's, that's what we do, man. And we enjoy it. Sounds like you got plenty enough going on, sir. Oh yeah, absolutely. Okay. Thank you for your time today. Hey, thank you.